Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. lesson, I've been praying that the Lord would help me in this lesson help you. Because I think what I'm going to talk about tonight is a part that I have struggled with in my life. Maybe you have. But there's an answer in Scripture. We're going to be talking about godliness versus ungodliness in our first lesson. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. What a powerful strong scripture this is and without controversy great controversy is the mystery of godliness great is the mystery of godliness notice he didn't say great is the mystery of the Godhead he said great is the mystery of godliness alright God was manifest in the flesh justified in the spirit seen of angels preached unto the Gentiles believed on in the world received up into glory. That is the mystery of godliness. Titus chapter 2 in connection with this thought Titus chapter 2 verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world in 2020 in this present world it's possible to live godly in 2021 turn your neighbor and tell him it's possible Heavenly Father we love you today we thank you Lord Jesus for our MPC family thank you Lord for those that are joining us online as well as we study your word tonight I pray Father that you would have your way bless Lord Jesus our, our thoughts, God, to give you glory, and our words to give you glory. In Jesus' mighty name, let everybody say amen. God bless you. You can be seated. In this journey called life, we encounter a conflict of realms and reality, of concepts and of ideas. There's a world today that is saying, live this way. And the Bible says live this way. They're not on the same page. This class of cult, clash of cultures, cultures has turned violent and vicious in many areas. Theologian Edmund Clowney stated it like this, quote, never before has the world been so desperately asking for questions to crucial questions, and never before has the world been so frantically committed to the idea that there are no answers possible, unquote. The culture of the kingdom and the culture of darkness has always collided. 
Go back to the garden. You had Adam and Eve that collided that we learned Sunday with the snake. We will find and you will study that Abraham collided and had clashes with Sodom and Gomorrah mentality. Daniel and his friends refused to be squeezed into the pagan concepts of Babylon. You know that, that Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were not the only Hebrews that were taken captive. There were some that didn't have the same constitution, didn't have the same commitment. There were some that would come from Jerusalem that embraced Babylonian concepts. But Daniel and his three buddies decided that they were going to stand strong in the conflict of cultures. Today, the spirit of Antichrist is rising. There is no middle ground. There used to be a, a, a season of life that I can remember where there was some really good folks and then there was a really bad folks and then there's really good, good, good folk. Today, there's no middle ground. The battle lines are really drawn sharply. Here's the choice. Here's the choice we have today. It's either the Word or the world. It's either the Bible or Babylon. It is either Christ or Antichrist. It is either godliness or ungodliness. Godliness or ungodliness. Let's define, let's start off by defining what godliness is. Godliness is diligently pursuing a lifestyle that is consistent with the character and likeness of God. Godliness is diligently pursuing a lifestyle that is consistent with the character and lifestyle or the likeness of God. Godliness doesn't mean perfection. None of us are perfect in that sense that we are absolutely got it all in order. When Jesus said that we're to be perfect as his Father is perfect, that isn't meaning that everything was going to be all right and we had no questions, no problems, but it meant that we're growing, we're maturing, we're getting more and more like him. That's why we're here every day to grow more and more like him. As we begin to mature, we enter into godliness. Everybody say godliness. Godliness speaks of the Christian life that is whole. It is how we exercise our daily reverence, our daily worship before God, both individually and corporately, both inwardly and outwardly. I will tell you today, the choice is this. You can either come to church and visit God, or you can take God home with you, and he'd be with you all the time. A lot of people today are trying to get by on a Sunday visit and they're missing out. But godliness says when I get up Monday morning, I want to live like him. I want to act like him. I want to present myself like him and be consistent towards my pursuit of his character. Godliness speaks of the Christian life that is moving forward. Amen. It is a word that has been discussed and it has sometimes been lost in the shuffle of its meaning. But it means God-likeness. How many know that we're not God? Turn to somebody and say, I'm glad I'm not God. And then tell them again, I'm glad you're not God. <laughs> but godliness is pursuing God with a passion. 
Humanity is in the pursuit of things, in pursuit of wealth, in pursuit of fame, in pursuit of happiness, in, in pursuit of health, in, in pursuit of likes, in, in pursuit of friends. Nevertheless, the nature of man, man is bent in this pursuit toward ungodliness. It is natural that human nature is bent toward doing things that are wrong, that grieve God, that are ungodly. Parents, how many of you had to teach your kid how to lie? Come on, we'll dub you parent of the year right now. No? No takers? We had Whitney Gill, and she still did things that were wrong. I know that's shocker. She was a perfect child. I, I get that. But, but, but there are things in the heart of an individual that comes from birth that, that pre. pre precludes us or pushes us toward ungodliness, to live unlike God, to not live like Him. But godliness has, begun, has got to be a matter of the heart, the heart, the inner man. Peter wrote and declares, sanctify the Lord in your heart. Sanctify the Lord in your heart. That is, hold the Lord at a state of reverence in your heart. I want to help you tonight to know that you can go from a place where, have you ever been in a moment where you had a, a service or a message and man, God's conviction hits your heart and you thought, I'll never do that again. 24 hours later, you're doing it again. Praise the Lord. We're all honest here tonight, aren't we? But we get emotionally charged because we felt conviction or we felt concern or we get excited because there was a message that, that stirred us to that moment. Uh, but just in a little while, we're right back to the same thing. Well, I'll never do that again. And then all of a sudden we do. Well, godliness begins in the heart, not in the head. It begins in our heart, not just in our thinking. It, it, it doesn't start in our emotions, but it starts in our inner man that says, I have made a decision. I'm going to reverence God with my heart. He's going to be most holy in my heart. Amen. The essence of godliness is grounded in a love and a reverence for God's holiness, His dignity. His position, His supernatural power. It's a reverence for His presence, His authority, His character, His name, His word. Begins to be a part of our daily life. When I was in Sunday school, my Sunday school teacher ingrained in me that there was an all-seeing eye watching you. There's an all-seeing eye Watching you. God's watching you everywhere you go. God's watching you. So until I was way up in school age, every time I went to school, I looked in the corner to find if there's God's eye was there. God's eye. Wherever you're at, God's eye is watching you because I knew my mom was watching me even when she wasn't in the room. But God's eye was watching you. It's just like you see, you know, but, but God became a part of my daily understanding that God is watching me. You can't get away from things if you think you can't get away with stuff if you sense that God's presence is with you. I don't want to dishonor him. I don't want to dishonor his, his presence. I don't want, don't want to dishonor his name. Joseph, when he was tempted to sleep with his boss's wife, said, How can I do this thing against God? 
and my boss. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. I want to go to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. Everybody say, I love the word. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine. Everybody say good doctrine. There is bad doctrine and there's good doctrine. Whereunto thou hast attained, but refuse profane and old wives' fables, and then exercise yourself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. There are doctrines that can become nothing more than just old wives' tales. Superstition. You know, that whole feeling of the black cat walks across in front of you, you better go around. Don't go under ladders then you better not be a painter or a carpenter. Don't walk under ladders. Don't step on the crack. You hear those kind of things? Well, we make Pentecostal superstition that says, I've got to live for God this way, and if I mess up, I'm a really bad person. And if I don't get it right, I'm a really bad person. If I don't follow every standard and every dot, dot, every I and cross every T, then I have messed up. I am headed for devil's hell. Well, I want to show you by the end of this message that it is impossible for you to live godly. Everybody encouraged now? It's it's impossible for you to live godly. I'll get back to that in just a little bit. I'm going to leave that out there just for a minute. Paul would later tell Timothy, shun profane and vain babbling. They will increase unto more ungodliness. Ungodliness stands because of bad doctrine and bad teaching. Amen. It stands in opposition to good doctrine, which produces godliness. Look at Titus chapter 2. This is a powerful verse of Scripture. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. How many know you're saved by grace? Not by works of righteousness that we have done, but we have been saved by God's grace. But he doesn't stop there. Grace then teaches us, teaching us that denying ungodliness, things that are against God, worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. If godliness is not diligently pursued as a lifestyle and the character of God being our choice, then ungodliness will step in. Amen. Ungodliness doesn't reverence God. It doesn't reverence God's character. It doesn't reverence God's likeness. For the word ungodliness in the Greek means living without regard of a religious belief or practice. Ungodliness means without worship. Everybody say without worship. Lacking reverence. Living without a regard for God. Rejecting His rule and His supremacy as the supreme authority and king. When we say ungodliness, we're saying everything is anti-God. Anti-God. 
When they say today that God has changed his mind on what family looks like, that is an anti-God understanding. It's ungodly because it's not like God. When we begin to say, well, I can be like this and do like this even though it's against Scripture, we are being ungodly. I can participate in this. I can go here. I can go there because I feel like it's okay. God's changed. God has changed. That is a a statement that is ungodly. Ungodliness is willingly withholding what rightly belongs to God. Adam Clark defines ungodliness as this. All things contrary to God. Whatever would lead us to doubt his being. Denying any of his essential attributes. His providence or government of the world. His influence on the souls of men. Everything also which is opposed to his true worship. Theocratic and practical atheism, deism, and irreligion in general is ungodliness. Unquote. Amen. Today there is such a pressure to say walk the line. A little bit in the world and a little bit in church. Walk the line. A little bit of godliness and a little bit of ungodliness. It's okay because that's your, that's your choice. But I want to show you that you can't live in godliness by yourself. Somebody say by yourself. Look with me at the book of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. The book of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our, say it with me, in our, and after our likeness, image likeness. Man and woman is uniquely fashioned in the manner of the creator. All of creation declares the glory of God, but only humanity reveals the image and the likeness of God. The image and God's likeness or godliness. Evolution depicts man as a man coming from a glob of goo by way of the zoo. That's such an insult to our creator, isn't it? That's such an insult to God who formed man in his image and after his likeness. I want to tell you that every person that walks the face of the earth is made in the image of God. But we fall short when it comes to the likeness of God. Adam messed up and lost the likeness of God, but still retained the image of God. We can operate in the way that God operates on some fronts, but when it comes to his likeness, we no longer as people resemble the the character of God. For the word likeness in Genesis 1.26 means pattern. It refers to the specification from which an actual item is made. Man was not only made to function like God, but we were created to demonstrate his character and qualities on the earth. Every man, every woman has been made by God to represent God on this earth. And if we are lost, if we are unsaved, then we cannot fulfill that purpose. 
Jesus Christ, the last Adam, came as the perfect example of how God intended man to live. Only through the new life that comes through Jesus Christ can people experience the original objective that God wanted us when it comes to God's righteousness. God's righteousness and His godliness. Go with me to the book of Romans chapter 1. And we want to read a few scripture here. The book of Romans chapter 1. And let's look at verse 18. I'm going to talk to you about ungodliness and its connection to the wrath of God. Romans 1 and 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Let me read that again. That's not my thoughts, that's the word. The wrath of God, everybody say the wrath of God, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because... That which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath shown it unto them. For the invisible things from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that were made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So they are without excuse. I'm just going to live this way because I want to. I'm going to live this way because I'm a victim. I'm going to live this way because... I don't like church standard. I'm going to live this way because I feel like I should be footloose and fancy free to do what I want to with who I want to, how I want to, wherever I want to do it. But the Lord says that is ungodliness and you are without excuse. Well, I've been, I'm bitter. You're out with, without excuse. Well, I've been hurt without excuse. Well, I'm lazy. Good admission, but that's not an excuse. Well, I don't know about Scripture without excuse. Let me share with you something that happened years ago. My dad was teaching a lesson in Minneapolis at a church in Minneapolis, St. Paul area. And uh, he had taught a lesson, and after he was finished, he was going to do question and answers. Question and answers. And uh, if you remember my dad, my dad's very plain spoken. Uh, plain spoken. I'm not. <laughs> but he's very plain spoken. And so there was a guest there at that, at that meeting. There was a lady, and this is, would have been oh, in the 70s, uh, uh, when halter tops were very popular. And so this lady came to church. She had halter top and, and, and short, short skirts on. Uh, uh, shorts on and she sat right on the front row and my dad knew said I'm going to get a question about modesty somebody's going to answer this question ask this question about modesty well here is an an unsaved person sitting there very immodest in in anyone's standard of thought and so sure enough here come the question about modesty and what people should wear and what they shouldn't wear and uh, my dad said he stepped back and prayed and said, Lord, give me the right words to say. And all my dad said was, what was Jesus wearing when he came out of the grave? Because the grave clothes were in the grave. And he was not unclothed. That's all he said and then went to the next question. That young lady sat there on the front pew, began to pull at her, her apparel, began to pull at her... 
not one word was said about the way she looked, but rather through that simple explanation, conviction hit her heart. Conviction hit her heart. I want to tell you today that there can be all the rules that that the church can have. Pastor can lay down a lot of rules. But I've come to realize a long time ago, you cannot legislate holiness. It's either got to be in your heart or it will be done out of unrighteousness rather than righteousness. All right? Can I get an amen? But it says that the wrath of God That's a word we don't often talk about. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Romans 1.18 demonstrates that God is an emotional God. God does get offended at sin. Let that sink in just for a minute. God gets offended at sin. His his wrath is not some arbitrary outburst like a bad parent that can't control their anger and then their kid does something wrong and then all of a sudden it's whoop, pow, I'll get you. Y'all don't know any parents like that, do you? God's wrath is not an arbitrary outburst, but it is God's righteous revulsion to sin. God's wrath is not an uncontrollable anger, but rather it is his holiness that cannot coexist in sin. His wrath is his settled indignation. Parents, we would not let a pedophile run around our kids, a known pedophile come into our house, play Barbies with our grandkids. We would not allow it, would we? Why? Because we have wrath. You better have wrath. It's the wrath of a grandmama and a mama that would take that guy that would weigh 100 pounds more than her, flip him on his head, and kick him out the door. Because it's wrath. What is wrath? Wrath is the other side of the coin of love. Wrath is the other side of the coin of love. God loves us. God loves us. And yet, he also says, I cannot allow sin to be in my presence, so I step back and allow my wrath to come before you so that my wrath will touch your heart and hopefully you will repent. All right? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness, all ungodliness of men which hold the truth in unrighteousness. Wrath is love demonstrated in the form of protection. God says, I love you so much, I hate this. I love you, but I hate this. I cannot tolerate this, so I extend my wrath to you in an effort to help you. We're not shouting on wrath right now, are we? Well, I hope to help you out just a little bit. 1 John 4. Let's go there. 1 John 4 and verse 10. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. You know, remember what propitiation is? It's the removal of wrath. That's what that word means. Jesus came to remove God's wrath upon us sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Here's the deal. I will either go find Christ and his cross at an altar of repentance and have God remove the wrath he had upon my sin through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, or I will meet God at some point in judgment where I will face his judgment at that time he pours out his wrath. Part of God's wrath is simply a strange concept, but God says, you want to do it? I'll allow you to do it. God's wrath is allowing you to do what you want to do. It may be contrary to him. You know, there are some people that say, well, I did this and nothing happened to me. I felt no conviction. Jesus didn't talk to me. Jesus didn't come and convict me. I didn't feel anything in my soul. It's because God has to back away where sin begins to show up and allow his wrath to come in. His wrath comes in in an effort to lead us to repentance. For godly sorrow worketh repentance, doesn't it? I thought God was all lovey and dubby. If he, if, he, if he was like we think that, then he would have stopped Judas from doing what Judas did. But he allowed Judas to do what he wanted to do. What Judas wanted it to do. Amen. If God hasn't stepped in a while and you are on or somebody is on the path of self-destruction, then you might be experiencing what is known as the passive wrath of God. If God loved me, he'd step in. If God loved me, he'd stop this. But because of his character, because of his wrath, he will let you go and do what you want to do and then he restrains his Judgment by passive wrath. I'm going to show you what I mean by passive wrath. Romans 1 speaks about the wrath of God that is revealed. But if you'll jump to Romans 2, he explains about where the wrath moves from being passive to active. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Oh, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. But after thy hardness and impentant or unrepented heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath. What is happening in our world today is that they have said we want to do what we want to do. We know it's against God's law. We know it's against what God said. But we want to do it. So we're going to do it. And God in his holiness backs away and said, here's my wrath. My wrath is letting you do what you want to do with the intent to hopefully find themselves a space of repentance. But he said they are treasuring up unto themselves. They are storing up the wrath of God unto the day of wrath. What is he saying? He said there's coming a day where the wrath of God is going to be poured out. But what we are seeing is the goodness of God in his wrath moment. It is the long suffering of God that he doesn't zap a sinner. 
catch you doing something that's wrong. Okay, I got you. Boop, you're gone. I'll zap you. I'll just get you right here and get you right there. But that's not the way God operates. Amen. But there is coming a day that wrath that has been stored up is going to be presented at the judgment of God. The white throne judgment where the Lord said he will render to every man according to his deeds. It is God's goodness that allows you and me to be idiots. That allows you and me to mess up. Allows you and me to get it wrong. Oh, it's not, you say it's the love of God. Yes, it is, but it's the reverse side of the love of God. It's known as the wrath of God. And I believe that somewhere, sometime, amen, if I do not return to God and His love and kindness, I will miss that point and then experience the active wrath of God. Let me remind you, there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. There is rewards and glory for the child of God. But there is eternal judgment for those that have stored up the wrath of God. If a person continues in their their sin, if a person continues in sin, especially what we've been dealing with with sexual sin, they're not getting away with it, but rather they're just storing up, treasuring up the, 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 the passive wrath of God for the active wrath of God. Amen. I will say this, is that God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Amen. So if I want to sow to righteousness, I've got to make sure that I'm living in godliness and not ungodliness. You and I will either obey Jesus Christ and accept the fact that he drank the cup of God's wrath for us or we will find, as Revelation said, the day will come in Revelation 14 and verse 10. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. I realize this is not shout and run the aisle message right now, but I am going to help you. I am going to help you. What am I then to do with ungodly habits when God is holy and he pours out his wrath on my sin? How can I overcome my bitterness, my bitterness, my victim mentality? How can I stop watching what I shouldn't be watching? Because on my own I can't do it. How can I walk in divine godliness and not ungodliness? How can I daily pursue a lifestyle that is consistent with the character of God when I don't have the power to do it? You know, the Hebrews did it for hundreds of years. They tried to follow the law for hundreds of years and failed miserably. You and I can't follow church standards good enough to make it through this. You and I can't follow our own standards of, well, I'm going to do this and I'm not going to do that. Amen. We hear the message from Sunday and we say, Brother David is right. I need to kill some snakes in my life. So I kill them, but they resurrect just a few days later and come back to me. How am I going to handle that? Look at 1 Peter, or 1 Timothy, rather, chapter 3, to the crux of our message today. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. These things write I unto you, hoping to come unto you shortly. But, I te- but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. 
He's talking about conduct here, right? Which the church of the living God, the pillar of the ground of truth. And then this powerful scripture, he's talking about conduct and daily living. And then he moves into what people just see as simply a theological or a doctrine scripture. But it's so much more than that. When he says, and without controversy, great is the mystery, the hidden thing of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justifying the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received of the glory. A mystery speaks of something that is hidden in God. Amen. And something that only God can reveal. There is something about living godly that is so hard and impossible if we do it in our flesh. But if we'll unlock and see the hidden mystery of godliness, it is wrapped up in this, is that God came and did what I could not do for myself. The manifestation of the incarnation of Jesus Christ is the key to understanding I can walk like him, I can talk like him, not because of my goodness, but because I trust that he was born of a virgin, that he came into the world, a man robed himself with flesh, that I can believe on him that if the word became flesh in Christ, then Christ the word can become flesh in me. You see, young ladies, it's not your power that causes you to live godly. It's the power of Christ in you. It is the power of the Holy Ghost in you. Amen. If you try to do it on yourself, you'll fall on your face every time. But if you'll understand that the mystery of godliness is revealed in Christ, that I can live like Christ because Christ in me is the hope of glory. Come on and praise him for a minute here. Praise him right here. Hallelujah. This sounds so strange because we're Americans. We're independent. We do things on our own. They tell us we can't build it, we'll go build it. They tell us don't wear a mask or do wear a mask and we don't wear a mask. They tell us don't wear a mask, we'll go wear a mask. Because we're independent. We're rugged. And we're wrong. When it comes to trying to live for God with our own intentions. Okay, I'm going to get up Monday morning at 5 o'clock. And I'm going to do this and this and this. And so many prayers and so many Bible readings. I'm going to get up and then all of a sudden you, all of a sudden you know it's 9 o'clock and your alarm didn't go off. I'm a failure. I am a horrible Christian, I am a horrible apostolic. Oh my goodness. God's got Bishop and Brother Edmonds. He don't need me. Right? And so we say, I'm going to live this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to dress this way because I can do it. I'm going to quit saying these words because I can do it. I'm going to quit being around these people because I can do it. And then we all of a sudden say, why am I falling back into this? It's because we not understood the mystery. The mystery is God manifest in the flesh. 
Jesus Christ came to empower me to be like him. I can't do it on my own. I have to have the revelation of Christ in me. Abide. He said, if you will abide in me. How do I do that? I make Jesus Christ a part of my day. He's with me everywhere. If I take him to Walmart, he's there with me. Then I, I'm not going to say what, what I thought I should have said. Amen. Because he's there with me. I, I'm not going to act all mean and ugly to the cashier even if they're doing a horrible job amen why because Jesus is with me godliness says I want to represent the character and the likeness of God and I cannot do that by myself it requires me saying I am in Christ and Christ is in me I wear his name in baptism I have been filled with his spirit therefore I can be an overcomer and I don't have an excuse. Living godly is not in my ability, but rather in the finished work of Christ. It is in the finished work of Christ. The incarnation of Christ is supernatural. So I live godly by his supernatural power. It is a mystery, it's victory without fighting. It is victory without fighting. You can get victory over that sin that so easily besets you when you start making Christ a part of your everyday life. When he's a part of everything. Invite him to come down and sit with you while you watch Netflix. You'll be surprised what you pass up. Invite him to come in and ride the car with you. When that old scallywag is riding with you to work. I'm not talking about your wife now or your husband. I can't say what I want to say. I can't just cuss them all out because Christ is in me. Let me, let me tell you what, what happened at the Gill house and how the, the Lord enabled my mom to help me quit cussing. I'll catch that in a little bit. I don't even remember what the word was, Brother Keith, but I said something bad. My mom, I was about this high. My mom grabbed me by the arm and took me quickly to the bathroom. Reached into the bathroom, and underneath the sink pulled out a bar of soap. I'm sure it was ivory. It was nasty. She said, stick out your tongue. I said, what? Stick out your tongue. I did. I stuck out my tongue and... I remember it very vividly. She didn't just go, now there. No, she went, don't you ever say that again. My mom and Jesus got some things going on in my life. Aren't you thankful for that? I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. Hey, man, it's not like, oh, isn't that cute? Look at that little Timmy. Look at that. He just saying, ain't that a cute thing he just said? Mm. Oh, thank you, Lord, for a godly mama. Thank you, God, for, for helping us today. If Jesus is manifest in your life, godliness is manifest in your life. It will naturally come. Hear me. It will naturally come. The things that beset you will naturally go away. Then it says he's justified in the spirit. What is that? Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, was filled with the Spirit of Christ as we know it so that it teaches us He lived it so I can live it. He showed me 
so I can do it. Hallelujah. Did not Paul said, I can do. I can do through which strengtheneth. Woo! That's godliness. It's not fulfilling a bunch of rules and lists. It is rather Christ in you. That brings about the identity of Christ. I don't talk that way, go that way, do that because I want the identity of Christ in me. I want the power of vict- and victory over sin. Amen. The Bible said that he was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, which means he vindicated in the realm of heaven that he is the conquering king over all principality and powers. He has authority over every devil that comes and torments you. Every devil that shows up and pops a word in your head that you need to search online. It is the enemy that comes in and puts those thoughts in you. But I want to tell you, remind him, Jesus was seen of angels. Do you remember seeing my resurrected Lord? Do you remember seeing the one who's on the throne? He's over you. He has the power over Oh, praise be to God. Godliness will win when you put yourself in Christ. Godliness will win when you put yourself in Christ. Scene of angels preached unto the Gentiles. That means that because of the fact that Jesus came, then those that were reviled were revived. Gentiles were not part of the the commonwealth of the kingdom, but Jesus came and reached to the unreachable. Jesus came and loved the unlovable. Amen. They were meant to be outcasts and dogs, but Jesus said, we're going to preach to them. We're going to see them win. We're going to see victory. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. Believed on in the world for everyone. Christ is for everyone, not just for a select few. It's not just that a select few can live godly. Everybody who is in Christ can live godly. You can say no because you're in Christ. Believed on in the world. Received up to glory. That is his end game. The completed work of Christ is all I need to know when it comes to living godly. He lives, I can live. He walked on water, I can walk on my problems. In Christ. That's the mystery of godliness revealed. Godliness, again, is diligently pursuing a lifestyle that is consistent with the character and likeness of God. Ask yourself. If you're having a problem over something, I often get this question. Pastor, is this a heaven or hell issue? (laughs) Is this a heaven or hell issue? That's been a question for as long as I've ever pastored. I've been pastoring for a long time. I'm old. Is this a heaven or hell issue? Is this a heaven or hell issue? No, maybe not. But it is probably a relationship issue. And my relationship is with Christ, not that thing I want to do. My relationship is with Christ. Tonight, I wanted to teach you that there is a war between godliness and ungodliness. Between lying and telling the truth. Between holy and unholy in your life. There is a war that is going on. And the way you overcome that is not by making a decision on Sunday, but rather on Monday waking up and saying, I'm going to live in Christ today. What I got Sunday, I'm living in today. 
I'm living in Christ every day. You got a problem with issues, habits, situations in your life? I don't even have to tell you what it is. But if you'll live in Christ every day, you can walk in victory in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Stand with me, please. In conclusion, I read 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. He's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. I am convinced if you'll walk with God, he will convict you of things in your world that you need to stop doing or start doing. If you'll walk with God. But because some people have been around church for so long and our church has preached this and this is what we've done, but you didn't get a conviction in your own heart. If you'll walk with God, let him give you what you need pertaining to godliness. To godliness. And you'll walk in victory. You'll walk in victory. How many of you, I'm going to raise my hand because I'm one of them. How many of you have had things in your life that you've battled for years until one day you finally licked it? You finally beat it. One day you finally beat it. I don't know about you, but it was the day that I finally shut the door on the fault. I didn't allow it to court me. I didn't take it on a date. I didn't allow it to be in my mind. I had to shut the door one final thing and say no. Does that mean the devil doesn't ever come back? Oh yeah, he does. But I've settled it long ago. Pastor Dylan, in the presence of Jesus. And so by the power of the Lord, he's given me all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Hallelujah. And I want to say today, you can walk in victory over every sin that can come against you. You can walk in victory over every attack of the enemy that has come against you. Why? The mystery of godliness. It is because of Christ. Believe it. Trust it. And see victory in your world today. Lord, we love you. Can you lift up your hearts to the Lord right now? Let's take a few minutes and pray. Let the word... Thank you for listening to the MPC Podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorachurch.com to learn more about our ministry.